Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are here in the room or you're joining us online, really glad you're here. It's kind of a weird Sunday with COVID kind of being crazy and we got snow on the ground. But man, I'm telling you, you guys are here and I'm proud of it. And here, here's, and here's the thing. Here's the problem, Cass. Help me out. Help me out. Help me out. Help me out. So you know, we always talk about getting extra points. But we're also in the middle of a series where we're talking about everything that God gives us is free. It just feels weird. But you get three points anyway. I don't care. Just ignore all the sermons you've heard so far. Give yourself three points. Um, actually, we are really excited. Mark, Mark is here. We're continuing our series looking at this passage in Ephesians 2. We're really talking about just, just the goodness and the grace of God and how what he's given us is free and then how that blends with the life that he's called us to live. And so uh, I'm really excited about the, the, the sermon that Mark's got here in just a little bit. But before that, uh, we are going to worship. Before that, I just encourage you to stand up, uh, say hi to the people around you. If you're online, let us know that you're watching. Strive, 
You know everything about me Even things that I don't know I can't hide them any longer And it's starting to show
so much and it's so obvious how much you love us and your goodness is overwhelming and your kindness and your patience what a privilege it is to be here and sing with those that love you and are loved by you Good morning. I'm Mark. I want to welcome you here as well. I, um, you know, I wouldn't call myself a pool player. I don't know how much pool you've played in your life. Pool, I mean billiards pool. I, uh, I mean, maybe like a lot of us back in the day at the skating ring, I played quite a bit with Def Leppard and Bon Jovi in the background, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I hear that. Amen. I, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I can do the, I got, I got good enough. Uh, that I could win fairly often, you know. I can do the little behind the back, lean on the on the table thing. Uh, I've torn up a few uh, a few pool tables doing the the jump thing, where you can jump a ball. And every once in a while, I would make that work and feel like I was really something. Uh, but if you've ever played that game and you're just learning how to play, or you know that you're not that good, you've probably had this thing happen that seems to happen to me every time I play. 
I line up to take a shot, and it's obvious. I mean, I'm trying to knock that ball into that hole. And then when I let it go, I miss that ball, hit another ball, or hit the corner, and it bounces four times, and then catches another ball, and then puts one of my balls in the hole. And it looks like that was the most incredible shot ever, you know? I mean, it looks like, like if, like if you really watch professional billiard guys, I mean, it's like, man, they do that on purpose. And, and it, it looks like maybe, just maybe, I did that. If you know me, you know I didn't. But there's that part down deep inside of you that's like you want to take credit for that because that shot was incredible, and you kind of just want to drop your stick and walk off like, yeah. But in your own heart, you know, like, that's not what you intended to do. You were doing something totally opposite, and the only reason that happened was just by just some freak accident that had nothing to do with you. It just, it just happened. And, you know, as we've been working through this series and, and looking at Ephesians chapter 2, um, it just feels like when we're talking about this whole idea of salvation and what God has done in our lives, we just like to take some credit for something that is not ours to take credit for. This incredible, marvelous, glorious, massive work of God that he's done in our lives, that he's doing in our lives, that's 100% him. You know, we start to look at it, and on the front end or on the back end, we start to somehow kind of puff up and think that we had something to do with it. Or there are folks, uh, a lot of folks, who would be kept from receiving that incredible thing that he's done because they're still trying to do it on their own. And Ephesians is so clear. I mean, we've already spent two weeks on it. I want to go back a little bit just to shed light on where we're going from here because these next two weeks take a little bit of a turn. But in uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, Paul says that we were all dead in trespasses and sins. Which just real quick, you know, this idea of trespasses and sins. There's another place in the Old Testament verse that I have memorized that talks about this, about the, the sins, like the things maybe that, that we did that we didn't know that we were doing that were wrong. But then there's also just these trespasses where there was a line drawn and we purposely made a decision to cross it. You know, I look back in my story and I've got, I've got things that I did in disobedience that maybe, uh, maybe I, somewhere I can claim, I, man, I didn't really know that was wrong. But then I know the things, that there was a clear line drawn, and I looked at the line, and I knew God was saying, this is, this is good, and that's bad, and I stuck my foot across it. And he says, we were dead, dead, dead in trespasses and sins. And in verse 4, it says, but God, we were dead, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead, verse 5, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, his work, you have been saved. And then verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's not a result of works that you've done. So that... No one can boast so that not one of us can take some claim for something that we did that somebody else didn't do. Not one of us can walk around with our chest stuck out acting like we've, we've accomplished something. Not one of us. What we did was trespasses and sins. What we were was dead. What God did was incredible. What God did gave life. What God did brought redemption and life and hope 
what God did. So none of us, none of you, not me, none of us have a right to boast. And so I just want to say it this way this morning. Any form of arrogance is just ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance in, you know, to put shame on anybody or on me, but any one of us that would walk around and make any claim on our self-righteousness that would somehow earn us favor with God, make us right with God, or that even after he had done that work in our lives that would somehow then be uh, divine, that's, that's just ignorance. It shows that we don't really understand what the Bible teaches in our true state of dead <laughs> in our trespasses and sins. It's like we're still trying to reach back and grab for some semblance of life. Maybe we brought something to the table. Maybe we can bring something to the table that will make God happy enough to make us right with him. Somehow we'll, on our own power, pr produce something God-like. That's ignorance. Only God does God's stuff. Only God does holiness. We do trespasses and sins. And so any form of arrogance just shows our ignorance. I, um, little known fact, back in college, I started a fraternity. I am a founding father of a fraternity. I know, I know that doesn't seem to fit. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, uh, and about, I mean, still today, I mean, I, about once or twice a year, it'll, it'll creep back into my life. I'll bump into somebody who's now, uh, maybe their son is in the fraternity, and the fraternity's had a great impact on their life. Uh, usually the group will call and ask, like, during pledge week or something for me to come down and talk. One time, a guy came up to me and quoted something I had said back in college. And I was like, what in the world? And he acted like, like, like because I was a founding father, like he needed to, you know, give me homage. I mean, it was, it was, really, it was really weird. And, uh, and, you know, when that comes back around, I'm kind of tempted to be like, yeah, I, I founded a fraternity. Yeah, yes, I did. My name's on some kind of official documents. You know, they talk about me every year down there. But every time it happens, you know what I feel? I feel inside like uh, I need to just pull this person aside and tell them the truth about how this thing started. Because the truth is I went to college, uh, you know, went to college to play football. When I got there, I had a football team, and those were my guys. And I didn't have anything. In fact, I hated the fraternities. I just wanted to hang out with my football guys. I also, my, my high school sweetheart, Terry, came to school with me. And I, but any time I wasn't with the football team, I was hanging out with her, so I didn't, like, need extra social events. Uh, my, my freshman year, my sophomore year, the, my roommate, he was kind of in a different place, and he had just made a decision to place faith in Jesus and really wanted to follow him. And he wanted to join a fraternity. And the only fraternity that the football players were in, all of those guys, it just, he just knew it was going to get him into a lot of trouble because that's what they did. They got into a lot of trouble. And he's like, man, I wish a fraternity existed for athletes that wasn't just like that. And he said, what if we started one? And I was like, man, I don't even want to do this. But I could see the excitement in his eyes and that he really wanted to do this. And so he went to the school. He did all the paperwork. I kind of helped us work through a plan, and we wrote up some bylaws and all those, the things you had to give, the paper, official papers to get the fraternity started. And we, and we started the fraternity. And then that, after that year, I got married, and I quit the fraternity. And when I quit it, we had like five guys. There were five football players that just were hanging out on the weekends every once in a while. And I, I maybe hung out with them two or three times. I did Pledge Week. I created Pledge Week. That's what I did because that was just a lot of fun. We, uh, I'll tell you that story later. But... Uh, 
But then it was over. And then, I, and then I, when I graduated, it was still small. And then this next group of guys came in. And they took it over. And they gave it life. And today, what I understand, is one of the biggest fraternities on the campus that I graduated from. And it does incredible things. And it's having all these impacts. But I didn't do that. <laughs> I, had no, I, I cannot take credit for any piece of that. And yet, people will say, you're the founding father. And I feel dumb. Like, no, no, no. You're giving credit. You're giving credit to the wrong person. And guys, God did this work in our life. We need to see that rightly. Because that's where our solid foundation comes from. That's where our correct, not ignorant understanding of God, but correct understanding of what Jesus did. We were dead. And he brought us back to life. We were on the bottom of the ocean, done, and he swam down and grabbed us and brought us up and breathed life back into us. That's what he did. And so when you see it that way, you give so much more glory to him. You look at yourself, both your, your positive points and your negative, your hiccups and hang-ups, you just look at it differently because the focus turns from you, and all of a sudden, all of the focus and glory is on him. There is no boasting. No one can boast. And this is really important both for our position in Christ when we, when we place faith in him, but now for this next line in, in verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. So again, Brad talked about this last week. We are, we are his workmanship, his masterpiece. Our God di- is doing this thing in our life, and it is it is his masterpiece. And uh, if you were here last week at the end, when I was kind of wrapping up, I, uh, I was talking about uh, Darcy's masterpiece from last weekend, the llama that she painted. I just wanted to show it off. Isn't that awesome? Darcy's masterpiece. And I was, I was talking about how, um, you know, I mean, I don't a lot of times look at, look at my life and think about a masterpiece. I kind of look at my life and see all the broken pieces and all the mess-ups. And when Darcy was showing this to me, she was so proud of this thing that she had made. And it just made me think about when Brad was talking last week about how when God looks at us, man, how proud he is. And it's, it's not imperfect. His perfect masterpiece that he has created and how incredible that is. His masterpiece, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you are a creation, not a renovation. It's not that God took you and, you know, you had it halfway figured out and then he came in and just upgraded you. He didn't just, you know, like you would trick out a car. He didn't come in and, and, you know, put some chrome on it and lower it down and, you know, put some big speakers. In. No, no, it's a brand new thing. You are a creation, not a renovation. And there are a lot of other places that we could look uh, in the New Testament that talk about this. I'll, I'll share a couple with you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is the first verse that I memorized. It would be really a really good one for you to com- commit to memory if you don't already have it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And you might go, well, hold up, hold up. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm still the same person, right? I, I mean, I put faith in Christ, and, 
but, but I'm st- it's still me. When I look in the mirror, it's, it's still me. What are you talking about, a new creation? Well, remember, it's the same way we're talking about this spiritual death and this spiritual life. You were dead. Now you are alive. The old is gone. You are brand new. Brand new. This new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. It's the reason why, and I know it's always confusing. It's always been confusing for me, this, this uh, born-again terminology, you know, um, some of that's part of my kind of some of my baggage from the background when people would talk about that and I didn't really understand what in the world they were talking about. Even you can see when Jesus talked about it, like it's just it's just confusing. Like I'm born, I'm born again. I'm like, what do you mean I'm born again? You can't you can't be born again. Well, the reason it's born again is because there was no life <laughs> and now it's a new life. New life. Later on, uh, or in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you catch that? In a, this, this is the same thought in, in verse 10. It said, we were created in Christ Jesus. Here, Peter says, we were born to a living hope, this new birth through the resurrection, the one who died and came back to life. It's through that that we now are a new creation. We are born again. We are new. Now, that's huge because the next line that we're going to talk about is for good works. So all along we've been saying, hey, it's, we're not, we're not, it's not by our works. And now all of a sudden there's this switch that it is for works, though. But you, gotta, you can't miss the fact that we're not the same anymore. We were dead, now we're alive. We are, the old is gone, the new has come. And now this born-again new creation, this masterpiece, is supposed to do something. You were created uh, for, not by works. And... Um, I, you guys probably, I, I've forgotten the name of this hotel. I think it's 21C, but it's the one up in Bentonville that's like an art museum slash hotel, which we've never stayed in. I think that it's got to be crazy to stay in a hotel, stay in the art museum. Uh, and when we walked in, honestly, one day we walked in there and <coughs> somebody like had cameras set up and there was somebody just like laying on a, a couch. And I was like, oh, they're filming the person laying on the couch. That's interesting. And I thought it was a mannequin. And then it started to move. And I was like, oh, man. Oh, this, oh, that's, this is like an exhibit. <laughs> and then I felt really funny, like, watching this person lay on the couch. Anyway, we also, uh, a few years ago, we were up in Bentonville just walking around with the boys. I think there was another family with us. And um, outside of that hotel, there, were the, there was this really cool basketball goal. It had, like, it had several hoops on it, like, at different levels, and each one of the hoops had a, had a basketball, like, in it, like, sitting beside it. And I was like, oh, man, that's cool. So, so me and the boys got the basketballs, and we started playing, and we started shooting, and, and it was like you get there were all these different levels. I'm like, oh, this, this is fun. I, mean, I can see us kind of coming up with a game with these. And then somebody ran out of the hotel, just stop it, stop it, stop messing with the exhibit, blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh. Oh, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize. I mean, it's a basketball goal. You're supposed to do something with a basketball goal, right? You just sit there and look at it. You know, I, man, I really appreciated what Brad had to say last week, and I totally agree with him. God created masterpieces. <laughs> but, y'all, what we don't want to miss out on, he didn't create the masterpiece to hang on a wall and just look at. 
because the rest of the verse is <laughs> created you for good works. So it's not just something you look at. It's meant, it's meant to be used. And I was thinking about my life um, in different stories and examples of that, and I can't think of one better than this. So back in high school, I used to mow, mow yards all the time. That's kind of one of the main jobs that I did. And uh, we had a family friend who had, um, who wanted me to come mow his yard, and so all summer long I would mow his yard. And he had a detached garage, and in that detached garage, one day I was walking by and I looked in, and there was a brand spanking new Porsche 911. Now, in case you don't know what a Porsche 911 looks like, I got a picture of it for you here. So, um, and, and I'm not just like trying to sugar, like th this car looked at least that good, <laughs> maybe better. And it was inside of this detached garage, and it was, it was perfect. And so all summer long, I mean, I would go, and I would spend a good portion of my time at the house well, in between mowing or taking a break, just peeking in the window of the garage at this Porsche 911 because it was just sweet, right? And so towards the end of the summer, one day, this guy, Mr. Roman, he walked out of his house, and he came over to me, and he said, man, I noticed you've been... You've been checking out my car. I said, yes, I have. He said, well, I'm going to give you a choice today. I'll either pay you for your work or, if you want to, I'll take you for a ride in the Porsche. Which would you prefer? <laughs> Is there even a choice? Give me a ride, man. I'm in. And so he goes and gets the keys, and he starts this thing up. Oh, by the way, as we're walking up to the car, he says, reach down and, and, uh, and touch the tires. I said, I just got new tires put on it, and uh, they're, like, especially, like, um, gummy. Like, it's not meant to go very many miles on it, but it's a special gummy, so, you like, like, basically like a race car where it can grab the corners and not, like, oh, my goodness, I don't even know what to think about that. Like, you could tell, like, they just felt different. So then we got in this car, and there's this old, really windy road that goes out to the lake, and he takes me down this road, and, y'all, he had me pinned, my cheek pinned up against the the window, like where I couldn't pull my head off. I felt like I was like in one of those, you know, astronaut uh, training experiments from one to the other. So it was so awesome. So pinned to the seat every time he would take off. Y'all, that car was not meant to be looked at. It was created for a purpose. It was a masterpiece that was supposed to be driven it wasn't supposed to sit there. I'm sure I've given my soapbox about Jeeps before. Jeeps are supposed to have the top off of them. There's a purpose involved in these things. God created you. He gave you new life. And the reason he didn't take us home, the reason he left us on this planet is to be his hands and feet. He created us. It's not by our works, but it's for works. And then it goes on to say that he prepared in advance for us to do, which goes beyond me, and Charlie's going to talk about that next week. I'll, I'll leave that for him, that he prepared them in advance for us to do. But this is what we got to know. We're, we're Porsches, not, not llamas. We were, we were created with a purpose, and God wants to do that through us. Now, uh, you might look at your life and say, well, I don't look like much like a Porsche. I'm more like a uh, Toyota Yaris. Man, know what a Toyota Yaris is? It's, to, it's, Toyota's, it's, Toyota's, it's Toyota's little car. And the reason I say Yaris is because I had a Yaris back in the day, a standard Yaris, and it was the most fun car I've ever owned. So I'm not downplaying Yaris's. 
But you look, but you might say, I'm not a, I'm not a Porsche. I'm a, I should have had a picture of the Yaris. It looks very different than that 911. <laughs> but you know what? I got you. Because the minute you say that, that means you are the prime candidate for God to show off his glory in you. Whatever those things are you say that makes you in, you know, yeah, I can't do it because of this, or I can't do it because I have this inability, I, I have this in my past, I have this, whatever it is. Look at this, uh, 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God loves to use, he purposely uses the jars of clay to show off his incredible power so that everyone knows you're not boasting. you got nothing to boast in. It's his power, that it's, that it's him, not us. A little bit further in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says that Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, back to, to don't be ignorant. It's, it's, not, it's not an excuse you can throw out that you don't have whatever. No, that's, that's the reason why God will use you, because he likes to take those things and show off. He flexes his muscles in the lives of, of us that are least capable, because then it shows that he, and we, we, the least capable of us will also readily recognize that we didn't do it, <laughs> and we'll more quickly give him the power. The people that, that have a lot of trouble are the people who think they bring something to the table and start to take credit for it themselves. God wants to show off through your life. He brought you to faith. He brought you to salvation. He gave you a new life. You were born again. And now he wants to do things through you by his power in spite of you. Not because you got something, but because he's created this new masterpiece. And now he's about to show off and you're going to be his hands and feet on the planet. We are going to be his hands and feet on the planet. I heard a guy the other day uh, say it this way. You know, people will throw out, well, but, you know, this is in my past. Or, no, I've got this. This is some reason, some hiccup or hang-up or thing that, is, that keeps me from being able to be used of God. I can't be used of God because of this. And this guy said, do you not think that God can take that past sin, that past addiction, this, this thing that you feel incapable of, and weaponize it against the powers of darkness? When he makes this new creation, you don't think he can take that very thing? Which, y'all, it's the way it works, man. I've seen it over and over again in my life and the lives of other people. It is usually the biggest weakness, the biggest thing from your past that God takes and then uses for his glory. And I think it's the way that it works because we got no reason. I got no way to brag about that. Because God took the thing that I thought was most incapable of being used and here he is using it. And even I have to stand back and go, <laughs> well, I got nothing to do with that. If, he, if something happened with that, it is 100% God because I didn't bring anything to the table. Something else about that. A, uh, a few years ago, I was at this, uh, at this conference. And, uh, and the speaker had gotten sick. 
And in the last minute, they had to bring in this, this other guy to come speak. And if y'all know joke, it was, it was a kind of seminar thing, and it was, a, it was three hours. We were going to sit out here and listen to this guy talk for three hours. And, and the guy that was supposed to come, I was really excited about hearing talk. And he, he, was a, he was a missionary, and he was going to tell stories about his time overseas. And me and the people that were with us, we were all excited to go hear this guy. And it was a little, you know, oh, man, I hate that that guy's sick, and there's this guy. But this guy steps up, and he spends at least the first 30 minutes apologizing to us that the other guy didn't come and we were going to have to, <sighs> we were going to have to hear him. And boy, that, I'm telling you, that really set up the three hours. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not this and I'm not him and I'm not and I'm not, I don't have many stories and I don't, and I just not really not, 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 not. And after he was done, and it was, it was hard to stay con- and listen to this three hours, you know, so. But after he's done, we get in the car and we're driving away and there's these people that were all at the conference together and. And two of them, you're trying to find something positive to say. And so two of them go, uh, man, that was the most humble speaker I have ever heard. He was just so humble. And my buddy, who's just a straight shooter, goes, are y'all crazy? Were y'all even in the same place I was? I mean, that's the most arrogant guy I've ever been around in my life. And so for the rest of the ride, we had this discussion about was the guy humble or was he arrogant? And by the time we finished, my buddy, man, we realized, no, he's right. He thought this was about him. And he looked at himself and said, well, I'm not as good as the other guy. So he made it all about him, which is arrogance. Instead of stopping and going, man, God is sovereign and in control. I'm the speaker today. I'm going to let God speak through me. And all of my weaknesses and all, yeah, I'm not, maybe I'm not the other guy, but whatever it is, whatever reason he has me in this place, in this moment, for this time, he wants to say something, and the focus is on Jesus, not on me. But instead, he took all the focus and made it on him. So whether the focus is, man, I'm really good, or the focus is, man, I'm not good at all, either one of those is arrogance. And again, arrogance is ignorance. Our Jesus did the work, and he wants to remember again created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's Jesus who made, did the work to redeem us. It's Jesus who did the work to make the new creation and the masterpiece, who brought us back to life again. It is Jesus who now wants to do his stuff in us and through us. So don't be a reverse boaster. That's just, that's, 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 that's just arrogance. So then which good works, you may be asking, all right, so I'm in. I, I, I agree. I want to do this. I'm a new creation. God wants to do something. But what? I mean, there's a world of things going on. Like, where, where do I fit in this thing? And uh, I don't know if you guys have seen the, the movie. It's kind of old now, Unbreakable with Bruce Willis. But uh, I was thinking about it this way. Like, he, um, you know, he thinks that he is a superhero. He, he, he thinks that, you know, he's, there's been some things that have happened, and he thinks, like, maybe, just maybe, he has these, these superhero capabilities. But he doesn't know for sure, and there's some question in his own heart. And, and so, so what does he do? He goes out in a crowded place with a bunch of people. And as he's out in the middle of all the people, 
things start to happen. He, he, he touches somebody, somebody touches him, and he, and he sees, oh, he can see things. And, and when people are going to do bad things, he knows ahead of time. And, and all of his superpowers start to come to the surface as he interacts with people. But if he just sat at his house on his TV, those superpowers would have gone to waste, and he could have sat there and said, nah, I'm not a superhero. But he had to get out among the people. Y'all, this is just the way that it works. We're created in Christ Jesus to do, to do good works. So what do we do? Well, you read your Bible. You, you see the things that God wants to do. You start to understand how he's working on the planet. Then you start to pray, God, all right, I'm your masterpiece. <laughs> I don't feel like much of a masterpiece, but you say that I am, and I, I, I want to be used by you. What do you want me to do? And I'm telling y'all, that prayer is dangerous because he, he, he'll show you. He'll show you. And then you'll be like, oh, he's trying to do this. This is the way he's made me. And then you get around people. Because the things that God wants us to do are all love one another's and care for one another's and engage. It's, it involves other people. So then you get around people. You get around believers. You, you, you get involved in a small group and you start learning what's going on in people's lives. You, you come to church and you actually interact with other people. And you start to, as you start to rub shoulders with people, you start to realize what's going on in their lives and, and how God has made you and the experiences that he's given you and, and who, what he wants you to do. And then, and then you start to act in it with, with believers, with, with other people in the church, and then also with, with non-believers at work or, man, that baseball team that you coach or, you know, the different places that you go. And you start to rub shoulders with people. You start to see this Jesus that's in you wanting to do his good works through your, through your body. And when you see it happen, you go, oh my, how did that happen? Because you know you couldn't have done that. You know that it had to be him. Y'all, I mean, this, this may be really obvious, but I mean, to use my illustration from the beginning, Charlie and me and, and, and Cass and Brad and, I mean, we're not pool sharks. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like this morning, I, I step up here and I'm, it's not like I'm an expert that if you walk out of here this morning and God spoke something to you and you are in any way inspired, if you are in any way comforted, if there is hope that filled your heart, if you do want to walk out and, and, and act out in the good works that God has called you to, it's not because I did anything. I am simply walking up to the table and praying and saying, God, you put me in this spot. As I'm stepping from over there to up here, I'm like, in spite of me, Father, let your power and your spirit move in this room. And whenever it happens, I'm awestruck. And if you've ever been a part of it, if you've ever stepped out in boldness, trusting that God would use you, and then you saw him use you, you know what I'm talking about. You kind of step back and go, well, I know I didn't do that. So if, if God used me to do that, all I can do is say, our God is incredible. And he's still working on the planet. And he's still drawing people to himself. And he's still, he's still bringing dead, dead things to life. And he still does that. And he does. And he wants to use you to do it. And it may not be on a stage. It may not be, I don't know if y'all noticed that second song that we, that we sang just a minute ago. Some guys on the stage wrote that song. Incredible. And God uses their gifting to do something beautiful. But y'all, if it had any power in your life, you know, you go to a concert, it's just a song. 
you step in here and you hear a song like that and it touches something deep inside of you, that's not, that's not human gifting. That's divine power. And God wants to do that in you. And it, it might not be with a guitar. It won't, for me, it won't be a guitar, maybe a harmonica, but not a guitar. But with you, who knows what it looks like? In fact, the most powerful things are the things that don't happen on stage. They're the things that do happen in your small group. They're the things that do happen, again, like, um, and your kid is in dance, and you're interacting with other families that, that, that are also on, and, and you're having that conversation on the side at, while you're on some trip to go to, a, it's those conversations that are most powerful. Hopefully, something like this just inspires, inspires you towards that and reminds you when you're there that God wants to use you. Y'all, let me pray that.